Hello, and welcome to the DMV Business Show, a weekly show where we get to meet local business and community leaders in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. They get to impact their story and how they got there. You can expect to hear advice and learn about their journey and how they went from point A to point B. My name is Odo Sevilla, and I'm a commercial real estate advisor in the local DC, Maryland, and Northern Virginia area. I have been very fortunate to have worked with many amazing entrepreneurs and executives from startup founders to international Fortune 500 companies. And one of the things I love about what I do is I get to form these great relationships with some interesting people. I get to know them and I learn about how it all started. And I love hearing a good business story. When I'm not working in commercial real estate, I just also happen to be the host of this show. So please enjoy and welcome to the DMV Business Show. Hello everyone, welcome to the DMV Business Show. I'm your host, Odo Sevilla, and today I have a very special guest for you. We have Dante Henson. Dante is the co-founder and CEO of Los Hermanos Tequila. Welcome to the show, Dante. Odo, thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Pleasure is all mine. Finally, we get to do it. I know we've uh, been back and forth for some time. Yeah, like life comes at you fast, and <laughs> so I'm hey. happy to be good, make some time to make it happen, though. Yeah, definitely. So before we go into your journey, in case the audience hasn't heard of, obviously they hear the name Tequila, but if you could just give them a brief general overview of who is Los Hermanos Tequila. Sure, Los Hermanos Tequila is a company my brother and I started back in 2020. We are Baltimore's first tequila company, which makes us the first better known tequila company. But not the first in Maryland, I want to clarify, but the first in Baltimore. So, yeah, that's the really, I mean, really, really brief overview of the of us. Perfect. Are you originally from the area here? Um, Yeah. So my brother and I, we were from Pasadena, Maryland. Grew up in Baltimore. Okay. In in the city or, or outside the city? No. Um, so there's a seven-year age difference between my brother and I. So my brother, like, actually grew up in the city where I actually grew up in uh, the Glen Burnie area. Okay. Yeah. And Arundel County. Okay. So our, you said seven-year difference. So who's the, who's the oldest or wisest? Yeah, that's the split. My brother's the oldest, so okay. he's seven years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's nice. Um, so I guess growing up in Glen Burnie, what were you into? What did you like? Um, yeah, so me, I grew up out here. I actually, I stayed out here because I was an outdoors kind of person. So I like to be, you know, the green spaces, the, the forest, the trees. You know, that was my whole thing. So it was like everything outdoors that I could get my hands on, you know, whether it was hiking, camping, or just foraging through the woods, whatever. Like, I just like to be outside. So, you know, growing up, it was always that. And then, you know, playing football or whatever outdoors, whatever kept me outdoors, riding bikes, that was just my jam. Okay, I see. That's good. So you did all, all high school and everything through Glen Burnie, right? That... Um, uh, for a brief stint, I went to... um. Uh, Couple years middle school, early high school in uh, Baltimore, and then I came back to Glen Burnie. Okay, and I guess after high school, uh, did you already know what you wanted to do, or what happened? Um, yeah. So, funny enough, at high school, I was going to go to um, Fisk University down in Tennessee to be an English major, and I, you know, when it kind of got time to go, I was kind of actually scared to go to Fisk, like. It was far away. I didn't know anybody in Tennessee, right? And I think the idea of going to Tennessee by myself just kind of scared the hell out of me as a teenager. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go to Morgan, you know, stay kind of close. 
and end up not going to Morgan, and I end up taking that year off. And then it was just like, okay, after a year, you know what? I was like, all right, I got to make a move. And my cousin and I, you know, we just had an idea. I was like, you know what? We should, you know, go see what the military has to offer. And we were had the idea that we were going to go talk to, you know, all the branches, see who had the best offer. And it just that happens that day when we got there, the Air Force recruiters were out to lunch. And the Navy guys was like, hey, can you help me? He was like, sure. And so we sat down and talked to them, and we wanted to go to the buddy program. They said, no problem. Got us in there, signed us up. Not a buddy program. We came two weeks apart, but, you know, we left, and that was it. I did nine and a half years in the Navy. Wow. So Navy, here we come. And what were you doing mostly in the Navy? Um, yeah. So my uh, MOS, or rating, as the Navy calls it, was uh, I, I personnel. eventually got the personnel, but I work finance. So I take care of, you know, everybody's paid their benefits. And at the time, you know, when the ship still used money, I worked the cash cage and maintained the ship's ATMs. Okay. So were you able to travel a lot? Yes, yes. Um, and my, what, so out of the nine years I was in the Navy, I did six years on ships. So I traveled to every continent with the exception of South America during that time. I have to ask, what were your what was your favorite spot? Wow. Um I think my favorite spot was um it's a it's a toss-up, like between Guam, because I think that's a place where a lot of people don't go. And it's like really beautiful down there in the Pacific. That or I think um Kuala Lumpur, like being able to go to Malaysia. Uh -huh. Like that was really different to see just how different things are on the other side of the world. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, most people from here, I think, or this side of the country or globe, usually travel to, you know, travel to the Caribbean. A few might make it to, you know, Western Europe, but not a lot of people go that far into Asia. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, even again, you know, when I went to Hong Kong, but like I was traveling into the future, like it was so technologically advanced. It was it was a culture shock. So, you know, like it was, it was some great things, but I just think those little the smaller places where you kind of get more immersed in the culture uh -huh. is what really, you know, stuck with me. And so I think between Guam and Kuala Lumpur was my favorite, too. I, I'm sure, you know, as a, as a kid from Baltimore, um, being exposed to all this was just like it's, a, it's like a different world. Absolutely. And, and, you know, again, before the Navy, I've never left really off 95. So far as north, I've been as Philly and the south was um, North Carolina. So I've okay. only been up and down. And when I got the chance to come out of boot camp, took my duty station, you know, I picked New Jersey. That was the first place. Like, cool, you know, close to home. So getting out of there, though, and, and really, you know, like, because my first duty station was New Jersey. And then I went to um, Meridian, Mississippi for tech school. Then I went to, um, came back to Norfolk, went to Pensacola for three years. And then, you know, went to Japan for my last two. And just having the ability to live other places and to see how other people live that exposure really kind of, you know, changed me a lot. And, and, and it made me look at things differently when I got back home to see, you know, like the way we live isn't the only way to, that you can live. Like mm -hmm. people, you know, do things differently. Life can be different in different places. So that exposure, you know, really kind of drove me to push the people in my life to, you know, look for different things. Let's look for different opportunities. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you 100%. I mean, that's the reason why I, I love to travel, you know, international when I get the chance. Um, it, it's just a different culture, like you said, if, if you get involved in it. Uh, I, I'm curious, after you left the service in the Navy, Dante, did you just personally, have you also traveled abroad? Um, 
Yeah, so since leaving the Navy, we went to Costa Rica in 2018, mm-hmm. which has become our new favorite place. And then <laughs> um, and then we what? went to Mexico, I think, like twice, um, down to Guadalajara, of course, right, on this tequila journey. But uh, what? Next month, we're going to um, London. So, you know, get a, get a chance to get back out there and actually go, you know, see things on my time. Sure. No, definitely. So after nine years, you leave. And did you already, as far as have an idea what you wanted to do after your service? Uh, absolutely not. So when I left the Navy in 2009, people remember that was in the middle of the financial crisis. And yeah. At the time, I was stationed in Japan and my wife and my five-year-old son were living in Washington State in Tacoma. And, you know, I, and so when I went there, the Navy said, if you go unaccompanied, you know, it's a two-year tour. And, you know, you come back, you can go to shore duty for, you know, another uh, three years or four years. So, you know, I was like, okay, two years, I can do that, you know, standing on my head. So I took the two years, not knowing in Japan, these um, squadrons over there in fleet is forward deployed, meaning every two months you're on a deployment. So in the two years that I was in Japan, I got to see my wife and my son twice. Wow. And so, you know, when it came time for me to, you know, all right, now I finish my two the Navy says, well, we changed the seashore rotation. You owe us another year. My wife says, I'm not coming to Japan. Like, I got a job here. I got a career here. We're settled. I'm not coming. The Navy, only option the Navy gave me was either to stay in Japan for another year or I could go to another ship stateside, which would mean, at a minimum, another two years tour. And so, you know, I'm in between a rock and a hard place at this time. And it was just like, you know what? Like, my wife was just like, you know, you got to make a decision. You know, it's us or the Navy. And so I was like, you know, fine. I chose my family and I left. And I didn't have any idea what I wanted to do. But for me, I was really lucky because they had just came out with the the post-9-11 GI Bill. And so I was able to take advantage of that and, you know, go to school and get paid still while I figured out, you know, what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And where'd you end up going to school? Um, so yeah, we um like I said, my wife and my son were in Tacoma, so I came back and um we stayed in Tacoma. I did a year at uh, Tacoma Community College before I ultimately, you know, took a job with the DOD. So we packed up and moved to uh, North Carolina down in Jacksonville at Camp Lejeune. And I think about nine months there, it was just like, okay, you know, like this is a really small town. It's not a opportunity here. And it was like in order to do what I wanted to do. I was like, I got to go back to school. And so at the time, the ACA was just getting passed, the Affordable Care Act. And so, you know, I was like, okay, well, you know, healthcare is going to be big. Maybe I'll go to school to be a healthcare administrator. And not knowing at the time, most hospital administrators have MBAs. I was just looking at it from the healthcare perspective. So, you know, who has health administration? And at that time, it was only two schools in the country that offered that um, program. It was UMBC and another school, and I can't remember the other school, but at the same time, the VA, I guess, was paying out way too much money for people to go to school, so they changed the rules, said they were only paying your tuition if you were getting in-state tuition. And so now, you know, being in North Carolina, the only two options I had were to go back to Washington State, because that's where I was discharged at, or come back, you know, to Maryland, where, where I enlisted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, okay, it makes sense. I can move from North Carolina up to Maryland. I can go back to UMBC to get this program. And so, yeah, I just came back and I went to UMBC, got my um, bachelor's in health administration, and I'm staying to get my master's in health IT. Perfect. Is your wife also from Maryland or no? Yep, born and okay. raised from Maryland. 
Okay, great. So it was, it was a homecoming then. Yeah, yeah. We ended up coming back to the same uh, community we grew up in. Oh, nice. Okay. So you said you went on, you also got your master's, right? Yes. Okay. And then I guess you go into, you know, career your afterwards? Yep. Um. So in my last semester of at UMBC uh, undergrad, I had to do um internship. And so one of my professors was like, a lot of people in this program goes to Medicare, you know, to get an internship. And so I said, okay, you know what? I know I had a government job before. I know how to work USA jobs. And so I go find me an internship, come back, let them know, hey, I got an internship here. And it was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, they were impressed that I haven't gotten on my own. But I was like, you know, I, I already had a job, so I knew how to work this. But what made me end up staying with at Medicare was that when I left DOD, I was a GS5. My supervisor, who managed four of us, was a GS7. And she had to petition, you know, back to Norfolk to get her position raised to a GS9. I get to, you know, CMS, and, like, I think they said, like, 70% or 80% of the building were GS13s. And I was like, what? Like, that was mind-blowing to me. Like, you know, I'm just coming out of school and getting ready to a place where I'm working with these people. So, you know, I was like, you know what? My government, my military time carried over to my federal time. So I was like, yeah, let's just, we're just going to stay here and ride this thing out. Mm -hmm. So I've been working in Medicare since 2013. When did the idea of of this tequila company start brewing up? Um, yeah, we got the idea during the pandemic. So, as the story goes, during the lockdowns, you know, like everybody else, my brother and my wife and I, we had a lot of time on our hands. So my brother, you know, my wife was really big on tequila. So when my brother would come to the house, he would bring a bottle of tequila, and you know, we was all sit around drinking and talking, whatever. So the next time he come, my wife would go buy a bottle, I buy a bottle. And after, you know, we probably spent the spring probably just trying to like 10, 15 different brands. You know, that was just our thing. Let's just try all these different brands of tequila that we never heard of before and, you know, take deep dives. Sure. So, you know, by what, late spring, we really thought, you know, we were experts. You know, we knew a lot about tequila and, you know, we were telling all our friends and people, you know, really couldn't relate. And so we just kind of gravitated to this role where, you know, we were going to be that educational piece for people. And people will come back to, you know, my brother all the time for recommendations. And, you know, where I saw there was a business opportunity was that he would tell people about a brand that they never heard of. And people would actually go out and get it as opposed to generally what happened. You know, you tell somebody about something they never heard of. It was like, oh, you know, okay, I might try it next time, you know. Or if somebody has this when I'm out somewhere, maybe I'll try it. But he was so good at convincing people to try these brands. People will go out, find these things, and take pictures of it and send it back to him. Right? And, and after I seen that for a couple of weeks, I was like, hold on. Like, this is different. This is not, you know, just you making recommendations. I'm like, you're really pushing this thing. And so after a while, I was just like, hold on, bro. So how many cases you sold for these people? Like, you ain't got a T-shirt or nothing. Like, we probably could start our own brand, and, you know, we probably could do something. And my brother was like, you know, like, you're crazy. Like, what the hell do we know about, you know, tequila? And I was like, listen, you don't have to work. I was like, you might not see it because you're doing it, but me as a third person watching, I'm like, you're already doing it. So I'm like, the rest of it, we can figure it out. Like, you know, people are doing it, then, you know, we can figure it out too. Mm-hmm. And so like, that was the genesis of how we got started. I love this. And during this time, Dante, all of you, I know it's COVID time. So a lot of us are home. Are you working remotely too? And William too, or what's going on behind the scenes there? 
Yeah, so I've been working remotely since 2019. So before the so the pandemic wasn't a change for me. It's just made things more crowded, right? Now when I go out, everybody else is out. But my brother, um, at the time, his job told him they would give them a week on and then a whole week off. Okay. So you know he had that time. So that was like that free time that you know both of us had. You know we just had a lot of time. And so yeah, I mean we still work, but it just the schedules was well his schedule was different. Mine was you know what it was, but yeah, so we was always had a job. So, is it, you know, the people he's putting on these different tequila brands, is it just sort of friends and family, close people, or is he also posting something on social? Hey, guys, try this out. I just tasted this. It's very smooth or whatever it is. Um, no, it wasn't online. It was all right off. So my brother okay. growing up in Baltimore, like he was the kind of person who was always outside, always that connected and know people and, you know, and, and around. So he had a big network. And so it was just you know, whether it be his work crew or his friends that he just knew socially, like he was just out, you know, and he would tell people like, and, and one of the examples that I give, like people are familiar with Espelon now, but I'm like back in 2020, no one we knew was trying Espelon, right? Like, and, and that was a good tequila that was like, you know, like under 30 bucks. That's, that was a pretty good one. Or like Milagro, like that, that episode was amazing. Nobody we knew at least was, drinking Milagro back then. So, you mm -hmm. know, it was like these things that, you know, that he would turn to people on to that was like, wow. And, you know, people actually tried to find us good. Oh, man, that's other people. And people would keep coming back to him for recommendations. So, yeah, it was just like, okay, if you're doing this, like, to this level, then, you know, you should make some money off of it. Instead yeah. of just making money for a lot of other people that you'll never see any returns on. So you saw the business angle of things and – you know, the thought and now putting it into action, there, there's a lot of things that go on there between that. Um, so what what happened afterwards when you started thinking about, hey, maybe there's a business opportunity here for us? Um, Yeah, you know, what? I just said, I told my brother, I said, you know what? Let me take a look into this and see if this is really viable, you know, and rather than us just, you know, who put it because we might let a good idea get by us. Mm -hmm. And what happened was I just started, you know, Googling stuff, you know, private label, distilleries, all things I could find about the spirits industry. And then I started cold calling people. And, you know, one of the benefits of, take that lightly, not take lightly, but one of the benefits of, of the time during COVID was that everybody was home. People mm -hmm. had a lot of time. So when I was cold calling people, it was not uncommon for people to give me 35, 40 minutes an hour, you know, on a cold call. Yeah. So you know, I was able to gather a lot of information really quickly. And then, you know, take what you learn. Okay, you go back and do some more research. And so next time you got a next cold call, I got a little bit more information. I can ask more pointed questions to try to get directions. And the one thing I think that really helped us out was when I kind of got a, a general idea of how the, the, the relationships work between the brand and the distilleries and everything, I started reaching out to distributors just to find out, you know, what's the process the brands go through to get with a distributor? You know, what are they looking for? What do they require? And it was a small um, distillery, I mean, distributor here. And um, actually, he's in D.C. And, you know, one night, it's probably about 8 o'clock at night, I was just shoot this guy email just to ask him, you know, what's the process? You know, we'll tell him what we're doing, just trying to figure out the process. And a guy called me. And I was like, what? Like, you know, somebody actually called. And a guy, you know, he called me and said, hey, you know, where are you in the process? And I was like, you know, we're just getting started. You know, we found a distillery. And, yeah, so he was like, okay. So he – and he gave me a lot of pointers, like, you know – where are you looking to sell? Are you doing on-premise, off-premise? You know, 
And at the time, we were only thinking about liquor stores. We had we weren't even thinking about in bars or in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And we was like, oh, well, you know, likes are everywhere. We can. And so one of the, the most valuable tips that this guy gave me was just, okay, if you want to sell here in D.C., especially in bars, you're going to want a tall, skinny bottle. He said, because if you have something that's not easy for the bartenders to grab, they're not going to push your products. And the bartenders are going to be your best friends when you're working on-premise. So, you know, take that. And, and at, this, at that time, you know, we were looking for something short, slow, fat, creative, something that would stand out. We're thinking, mm-hmm. you know, from the off-premise perspective. And once that guy told me that, I was like, oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. And so we went back to the catalog and we chose, you know, different bottles. And we based everything off of what it would look like on-premise. And so, you know, it was just like these kind of things that I could get from people, you know, during that time that right now, you know, you might not, people might have that time to just give you all this information. So once you gather all this information, Dante, I mean, as far as you already pick, let's say, who's going to distill it, or do you go to Mexico, or how does that go? Oh, yeah. So we, um, again, not knowing anything about this industry, I started reaching out to distilleries here in the States. Sure. And of course, you know, everybody was telling me no at the time. Um, you know, people were cutting production or they were switching over their equipment to make hand sanitizers, like whatever. They just was like, no. I found one guy down in Jacksonville, Florida, who said, yeah, you know, I can take you guys on as a brand, but you got to go to Mexico to get the juice. And I was like, well, if I got to get the juice, what the hell I need you for? You know, again, being, you know, totally novice, I'm thinking mm-hmm. that's the distillery's job, you know, yeah. to produce the liquid. So, you know, okay, fine. So, I, you know, get off the phone with this guy and I get back to Google. And I started Googling, you know, distilleries in Mexico, trying to figure out, you know, who's out there, who's available, who's going to work with us. And so I started reaching out to a few and, you know, a couple of them came back quickly and everybody offered different things, you know. And so, you know, once I saw this, we started doing our evaluation between the different distilleries. And then the last one, you know, we found um, Casa Maestri and I was like, oh, here's somebody that's, you know, three generations of distillers. They're pretty big, but, you know, they're still willing to offer us that handholding that we're going to need in the beginning. And so, you know, we was like, okay, you know, let's let's talk to them. And we, you know, got on a call with them, told them what we were trying to do, what we were looking for. They said, no problem. You know, we can help you guys get to market, you know, in addition to producing. They would source everything for us. And we were just like, okay, bet. So that's when, you know, I was like, all right, call my brother. I was like, listen, we can do this. You know, my brother's like, okay, I'm with you. And I was like, no, 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 you're not misunderstanding. We can do this. I said, we have a distillery that's willing to take us on and, you know, source all the materials to help us get to market. Like, yeah, we really can do this. And then he was just like, oh, so this is what, June of 2020? And then that's, you know, once I saw all the pieces were there that we could put this thing together, that's when we, you know, sat down and said, all right, let's come up with a name. And, you know, let's start working on, you know, the logo and all that. And that's where the, the name Los Hermanos came. Um, yeah. So my brother, my wife and I, we were sitting on my deck and, you know, all of us like, okay, you know, we, we, we need a name. And the parameters that I gave everyone was like, okay, we want something that's not going to be hard to pronounce, something that's not super unique that people would forget what it was. Right. We wanted something that, you know, and also I wanted something to try to catch, capture this familiar vibe, because this was the whole reason that we even got into this name. And of course, right, like Jose Cuervo has the La Familia locked up. And, you know, Casamigos is gone, right? So I was like, okay, we need something that can capture this family thing. 
And so, you know, I asked my wife, I said, you know, what do you guys? She said, uh, I don't know, thinking about it. I asked my brother, said, you know, he's, uh, you know, I'm working on it. So I said, okay, what are we doing? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? I need something that captures this family vibe, this family thing. And I'm looking at my brother, and for people who don't know us, like at one point in time, people used to confuse us with being twins, even though we're seven years apart. Mm-hmm. And so people here would see my brother and be like, hey, where's your brother? Or all the time, every time I see anybody, like, hey, how's your brother? Where's your brother? And so the thought came to me, I was like, brothers, what's the brothers in Spanish? And I Googled it, I was like, I was like hey, I like that. So yeah, so you know what? I said, I got a name. So you know, my brother like, this is what he got. I said, Los Hermanos. And my brother said, what? My wife said, my brother was like, yeah, I like that. That's dope. He was like, you know, it's the brothers, you know, it's the play on the all the Spanish. So the tequila come from Mexico. My wife was like, that's terrible. I said, really? She was like, no, you can't use that name. That's terrible. Find something else. And I was like, I don't know. I kind of like that name. And so he was like, you know what? I said, let me sleep on it and we'll see it. And I, you know, that rest of that night, I just was thinking, and it was just like, no, like that name stuck. And it was like, yeah, I was like, no, that 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 stuck. And so it was like that organic thought of just Los Amados, like, yeah, my brother, because you know, this is us and this is what we were doing. And so really it started, you know, about us, but it's more it's more about the brotherhood in general. I think that's that's what I tell people. And like, you know, and the sisterhood too, because not just, you know, like like manly brothers, but Brotherhood, sisterhood, you know, that found family, that bonding thing in general. That's what it's about, sitting together over, you know, appreciating your company over a good dream. Yeah. No, I, I love the name, Dante. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a great story behind it. So you, you said this is June 2020. Both you and Will fly down to Mexico, right? Yeah. So at the time, um, COVID was rather rapid. You know, nobody really knew what it was. And so the distillery told us... Um, they could send us samples okay. of their house killer to use as a baseline to see if we like what they do. Or if we were willing to fly, you know, we could come down because, you know, things were still going on down in Guadalajara or down at Tequila. And so my wife was like, absolutely not. You cannot fly. Like, you see what's happening out there? So, you know, we tell them, okay, send us samples. And, oh, my goodness, it took like a month or so to get these samples. And we're like, God, this is taking forever. You know, we're excited. We're ready to go. And then when we get the samples, you know, we drink the kill the way we know we drink. You know, we just pour it up and check it back. And, and we was like, oh, yeah, this ain't really, you know, this is not what we're looking for. So I told my wife, I was like, look, we got to go. I was like, you know, because for us to keep going back and forth with them, you know, it'll probably take a year to get something we like. We got to wait every time. So, you know, we eventually, you know, convinced her that it was, you know, we were just going to have to go. Mm-hmm. And so we set up, scheduled the distillery that we would come in um, November 2020. So my brother and I, you know, we we go down there. Well, actually, before we even got there, I was thinking, you know, like, this is this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, right? Like, you don't get two first. So this is the first time we're going to Mexico. This is the first time we're on this journey. And, you know, I was like, you know what? I want somebody to capture this journey with for us. And so initially I was talking to photographers here and people just wanted all kind of crazy stuff to, to go with us. So I was like, okay, you know what? Never mind. Let me go find a photographer on the ground down there. And so when I started Googling um, photographers in Guadalajara, I found this amazing photographer. And Andres is a wedding photographer by tree. Right? And I, but his images was just so beautiful. I was like, this is what I want. And so I reached out to the guy and I was just like, hey, 
I know this isn't what you typically do, but my brother and I are coming down to, you know, in, in November. We want to, you know, we're, we're starting our brand and we would love for you to come to document this journey for us. And the guy came back and he was like, yeah, he was like, you know, I would love to be a part of your journey. He was like, I like, I like guys, what you guys are doing. So when we came, uh, what, we did a four-day trip down there. I think the second day, you know, we got there, the guy came and met us at a distillery. And, you know, he just really stayed with us that whole day. I think the guy took like 3,000 images. He gave us like 200 finished products. I mean, it was, it was insane. But, you know, again, and when we got with the distillery, that's when we found out that, you know, we really didn't know anything about tequila. What we thought we knew, like we weren't even scratching the surface. And so we spent those four days there getting, just getting a crash course. Like they had us out, you know, in the fields with the farmers, you know, seeing how they tend to the agave on a day-to-day basis, understanding that the farmers or the hemidors are not the farmers, right? These are two separate groups of people. Um, and, you know, being in the plant with the masters still, seeing how they distill the agave, you know, the fun part of eating the raw, I mean, the, the roasted agave, right? How sweet that is and chilling on that. Going to see the sellers, going to see where our barrels are stored. And, you know, finally we get to the taste testing, you know, where we're actually sitting down picking our profiles. I mean, it was just like, it was it was an amazing experience that, you know, we were lucky enough to have somebody there that was really good to capture all this for us. And even after that, you know, we went out to tequila. So, you know, we're out in town exploring and just, you know, being tourists at this point. And, you know, the guy was still with us capturing all these images for us. So, yeah, like that, 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 what, that trip, uh, November 2020 was just like something that's etched in stone for us that, you know, we were able, fortunate enough to capture. And I think even to this day, like we're still using that imagery. Like people love it. That's great. So when you left tequila, did you already leave already with this is, this is what, this is what it's going to be. This is the taste. Yeah. So um, when we entered the tasting room, which, if people never went, if people have never been, I think this is the probably best way you'll ever experience tequila. Like, you have to go to the town, first of all. But go do a tasting. Sign up to go one of these tastings. So when us coming here from, um, you know, the first time, we're normally drinking tequila, even doing shots, or we're doing, you know, pouring up a whiskey glass. and just doing a neat pour. You just When we come in the tasting room, they have this giant wood, oak table where it's like all one piece of wood. And they had the placemats set out as if you were doing a wine tasting. So they had the tequilas here with the t- and the champagne flutes with the toppers on it. They had the plate with the wafers, the coffee beans, the cheese, everything. I mean, it's just like, we're like, tequila, champagne, flutes? Like, what? They're like, yeah, right? And so when we come sit down, they give us a whole little prep about how you try and how you go through the notes. And so they started out with, you know, three different Blancos. And so, you know, we tried the first Blanco. We're like, eh. That's okay. You know, it's like, got a little bite to it. Like, man. So, you know, try to second one and just walk people through the experience. So when you first get in and the flute has this top on it, you know, you put it in there, you kind of swirl it around a little bit, you know, you turn it up and you look at the legs and see how it comes down. You get the gases going and then you, you know, take it up and you take a sniff and, you know, you get these things to get that gas, you know, really to get the notes. And so, you know, we're trying to, and also, you know, that about when you're holding it, the champagne flute, you hold it by the um, the bottom and not the stem because your hand will warm up the glass and it will change the notes. So, you know, again, all these real in-depth details, whatever. So, you know, we tried the second one. It was like, hmm, this is pretty good. You know, like, okay, let's see with the third one. 
And when we got to the third one, we was like, ooh, this one is good. This one is really smooth. It was like no bite at the end. And, you know, it was like the agave was like really potent. It was like, okay, this is the one we want. Mm-hmm. And so they was like, okay. So, you know, we, you know, get the water, cleanse your palate, get the coffee beans, get the smells off your hand. Now we're going to the reposado. Great. This is what we came for. So we tried the first one. You know, it was like, again, you know, still kind of had that little bite to it. And it's like, nah, this is not it. And so the where we're sitting at the table is the people from the distillery are sitting across from us. My brother's sitting on us on this side, and the photographer's sitting down from him. So we get to the second one, you know, go through all the same things, and we try it, take the top off. I was like, ooh, this smells amazing. Like, mm, all right, like I never smelled that like this. So we tried it, and it was just organic. I was just like, oh, I'm turning around, look, my brother, he's smiling, I'm smiling. They're smiling at us. I was like, oh, yes, this is the one. I was mm-hmm. like, we've had a lot of tequilas before we got here, but we've never had a reposado like this. We was like, oh, man, this is it. So they're like, okay, you know, try the third one. I was like, no, 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 I don't need a third one. Like, this is it. My brother was like, yeah, but you got to try it with hair. I said, okay, fine. You know, we tried the third one. And it was good, too, but it was just like, no. Our reaction was so organic with this one that, you know, everybody just lit up. Mm-hmm. I said, that was it. And so, okay. Now that we have our two profiles for the Blanco and the Reposado, you know, now it's like time to get into the mechanics. And so that's when they came with the catalogs, you know, with the bottles, you know, we picked our bottles, picked the corks. They came through with all the um, the swaths of different labels. We picked our labels and we're telling them, you know, because they was going to do the design for us too. Mm-hmm. And so we told them, you know, we want the bottle to be based off of our logo. And so, you know, this, okay, you know, we, we'll, we'll send a mock-up to you, you know, probably tomorrow. So, you know, okay, great. So, you know, when we leave the show, we're feeling great. You know, we picked our flavor profiles. We're excited about them. We picked our bottles, labels, tops. All right, great. Again, we go to tequila. We go to lunch, whatever, out in the town. I think we, um, what did we do? Stop the Algarreros on the way back to the hotel, which is amazing if people never been. Like that that party, that was amazing. So we get back to the hotel that night. I get an email, maybe about nine o'clock at night. It's the first look of our bottles. And I was blown away. I'm like, oh my God. So my brother and I, we both have separate hotel rooms. So it's nine o'clock at night. We're in Mexico the first time, you know, at the long night. I'm running down the hall. I'm boom, 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 knocking at his door. So he's freaking out, thinking something going on. You know, he runs up the door like, what? what's going on? I'm like, look at this. And he sees that he was like, holy shit. This is Alice. He was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is Alice. And I was like, yeah, like that moment seeing that first mock up was like a validation. Like, we really have a real product. And so prior to this, you know, we were telling people we were going to, you know, we were starting a tequila brand. You know, back in 2020, everyone said they were doing something, right? Everybody was starting a business, whatever. So people kind of was like, eh, okay. And it was like that night, once we started posting, these pictures of us being in tequila and, and these bottles, people really got serious. And it was like, oh, ping, 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 ping. Social media is going crazy now. People seeing this, like, they're really there. They're really doing it. Yeah. And so it was like, yeah, that was it was an amazing experience. That's amazing. From, from that period, Dante, to when actually you were able to get the tequila back at home in Baltimore in your hands, how long was that time? That was, It was a nine-month period. We left, but August, we left. November 2020, from down there. We didn't get our first shipment until August of 21. Yeah, like, I don't know if it was during COVID, 
or just because the CRT moves at a time, but it was a long for me. It was a long time. Some people say you know it, it can take longer, but yeah. And again, right? Like so, you know, the fortunate thing for us was that we had built up anticipation from the time we got the idea to do. You know, we created social media pages. We are pushing it. We get the T-shirts made. We're in Mexico. We're you know taking pictures. We're posting pictures. So all this time, you know, people was like, "Where is it? Where is it? Yeah, when it's coming? We're like, it's coming. It's coming." So August, what I think it's like at the end of August, we get our first, we get the call from the importer says, "Hey, your shipments arrived." That this is like in the middle of the week, Friday. Me and my brother, we take the day off. We ride up to Philly warehouse. We grab the cases. We're coming back to Baltimore, and so my brother knows the um, uh, liquor store owner in Baltimore. So he asked the guy, "Like, hey." You know, we got our first shipment. Can you put this in, in the shelf? So the guy was like, yeah, you know, as long as you have your, you know, your permits, your license, stuff, no problem. So we're like, okay, fine. So, you know, we get, you know, we coming back down the road. We pull up to the guy's store, show him all our paperwork. Guy says, sure. Give me, you know, one and one. Okay, fine. We don't care. We're excited. So we get outside the store. We get on Instagram Live, let people know, hey, we're here. We just got our cases. You guys been waiting for it. Blah, blah, blah. 15 minutes later, screw people pulling up. People pulling up, boom, boom, boom. Man, people are walking out the door with cases. Like, they're literally people buy the case. So the guy comes back out to us, writes us another check, one and one. He puts it back. People come back in, like two or three people, the case is gone. The guy comes back. Long story short, this guy wrote us like four checks that first day. Uh, people <laughs> come in out of his store, buy these cases. And, you know, we're capturing all this, and we're just throwing it back up on social media. And it was like, that's where we started. Um... We're doing all this, and, you know, again, I'm reaching out to distributors, and it was like nobody was biting, right? And I was like, dang. So I was like, okay, we're probably just going to be independent for a while. And it was like maybe, what, the second week? So, again, we had to go back to Philly this time. Got 10 more cases. We are come back to this guy's store, and we are just going. To, like, it got to the point where, though, I don't know why. The guy just was not by, like, you know, three and three or something. He just want to keep one and one. So, you know, when we would come, we just parked the car out front of his store. Like, I would literally just park my car in front of the store and wait. And and God would just, you know, go, go, go. And so it was like the second week of us doing this that I reached out to the last distributor on my list. And sent us, I was like, you know what? I probably shouldn't email this guy because nobody else is getting back to me. You know, I had like four other distributors I tried. I got no response. Get to the last guy on the list. And I'm like, you know what? What do I got to list, right? Like, he was going to say no, he's not respond. At least I tried. So I sent it, fire email off, tell this guy who we were, what we were doing, you know, give him our links on social media. 20 minutes later, I get a call. Hey, my boss saw you guys' email. He wants to know if you guys want interested in meeting. Yes. And we go down to meet with these guys, what, the following Tuesday. The guy, you know, said, all right, what's your story? You know, you tell them how we got into this thing, what we're doing. You know, they tried to liquid. They like it. The guy says, okay, we want to work with you. You know, you want to work with us. You know, we think we can, you know, help you take off. So we like, okay, great. Now, Otto, prior to this, we never started this company with the intention of being a big brand. We started this company because we thought it would be super cool to have our own tequila when we have family functions, right? We're sitting around drinking our own stuff. So, you know, we started small. I think we had like 175 cases when we started. Because, again, you know, we don't know what this thing is going to do. We don't want to be stuck with, you know, 10 pallets of tequila. We can't move. Mm-hmm. You know, now you got a lot of money invested in this thing. So, really small. We're just trying it out. The guy tells us, if you get with us, we can have you in store uh, this Friday doing a tasting. We're like, 
Yeah, that sounds great. But oh, you know what? Sure, that's a wheel bike. So the guy says, all right, bet. Give me a day. Let me sign up the paperwork. And I'll send, you know, get him, get up with Maryland, get DC going. Says, how many cases do you have? So we at this time, because we already had a launch party. I said, we have about 120 cases. The guy said, no problem, I'll buy them all. Oh, okay. So, you know, we go pick them up, go bring them to the sky. Hold on. Well, uh, that Friday, we're in DC. Shout out to Chad Slicker. This guy bought 20 cases before he even met us. Just tried to give us our story. 20 cases that Friday. We're doing a tasting. And so we went from one location in Baltimore in August of 21. So right now we have over 200 locations, Maryland, D.C., Delaware, Georgia, and we just got into New York early this week. Wow. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's been a crazy journey in, in, in a little bit of time. Oh, my God. It's crazy, Dante. It's amazing. Yeah, and, and it's like, and again, my brother and I, we still have a full-time job, right? So we had a, an idea that we thought, you know, we could – turn into something and it would be, you know, a little small side hustle. Yeah. Become a full blown business in less than two years. And it's like, oh my goodness. Like and again, we had no idea because we had no prior experience with this industry to know that the industry was gravitating towards tequila anyway. Right. So, you know, it was just like we kind of got in early on this wave that when it came, not knowing that there was this huge demand for tequila. And also I think one of the things that really helped us grow was that we lost here. Like Baltimore is traditionally a bear town and then Sagamore, you know, suburban town. So for us to be in a small town with the tequila, right? Like, oh, that kind of get people's attention. Mm -hmm. And then the people found that, that it's actually good. It was, you know, it, was, it helped that much more. Because I tell people all the time, I was like, you know what? If we launched in Florida or in Texas, like we might not have got the same traction that we did. Mm -hmm. But because we were here in, in this place where people haven't traditionally seen this thing, it was a thing, you know? And so again, it was just like it's a roller coaster ride. But outside of you know just on premise, we've what won eleven medals in the two years that we've been in. I think uh, Blanco has won double gold twice um, through the Super Wars or the New York World of Wine Spirits Competition, gold in the Bartenders um, Spirits Awards. Like the Reposados won multiple awards, so it's like you know industry is recognizing that you know we have good tequila in addition to. You know, the consumers, you know, demand for it. We have the official tequila of the uh, Chesapeake Employees Insurance Arena at UMBC, my alma mater. We're also the official tequila of Artscape, you know, that's coming up next week here in Baltimore. So it's like, you know, people are calling, people are checking for us now. So it, it's, it's a wild experience to, you know, you be out here trying to push your product to when you start turning that corner that now people are calling you, people are looking for you. And it's crazy to, just how it started, just as a way, like you said, when you're holding family events to just try it. And now it's full blown business and the way it's been growing in just two years. And yeah. And, and you know, people, it's funny because people always, I remember when we first started, right? We had that one location. People say, Hey, are you anywhere on East Side? Are you in South Baltimore? Are you here? And we're like, We've just got the product. Can you give us a chance to grow? Right. <laughs> And it's like, you know, all right, give us some time. And now that even all of these little, you know, places that we're in, all these places we have distribution, people are still asking, well, what's next? Well, do you have an Anejo? Or are you doing the Mezcal? And we're like, listen, we just got to do We've only been in the market for two years. Like, you got to give us some time. I know you're excited, but, you know, it takes a lot to get this far, you know, this fast. And, and I think 
people who aren't in the industry, like they don't have appreciation for just how much work it takes to get here. But again, at the same time, we are, we've been phenomenally blessed. And I think a lot of it, you know, I always credit people, like a lot of it was luck and a lot of it is work because the first year when we launched August of 21, we sold 300 cases that year. Still, we finished last year with 1,400 cases sold. And this year, I think we're on par to do um, 1,400 again. So, like, that is a lot of tequila pushing out for a small brand that doesn't have, you know, a huge marketing budget. Mm -hmm. So... Speaking about speaking about marketing, I know you said your brother was sort of has a big network, but how did you get the word out, out there that, you know, here we are, go try us, Los Hermanos, this is where we're located, we're here in all these locations? Um, it's 90% of it's been word of mouth. Like and 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 that's why I knew we could do well because my brother has such a big network. And so and other was just strategic things, like get hiring that photographer before we went. And so, you know, we had that imagery that we could capture, that we can start to build that demand. When we finally got the product here, we had a launch party at um, the Charles, down at Charles Village. And so, again, you know, we're having up on social media, hey, we're having this launch party. You know, we're giving people all day. And, like, we um, we didn't charge the drinks, right? So we're giving it to Killaway all night because we want people to try it. We just mm -hmm. want to get it in people's hands. And so, again, people, you know, had a, a thing where you kind of had to dress up for us. So people are excited to dress up and they come. You get free tequila all night. And, you know, they had great food and great venue. So that part. And then it was like, again, I didn't have any media training. But I knew that we had a story. And so I just was blasting every media outlet from here to Virginia. Just everybody, you know, shotgunning my our story. And, you know, we got picked up by um, – Fox 45 here, you know, they they did a story on us. WJZ came out and did a story for us, and that really helped. So they, I think WJZ was like one of the first one news outlets to pick us up. And they called us and said, hey, we got you got a story. We would love to do a story on you. You know, do you um, got a place that we can come? And I was like, holy crap. Um, Sure. You know what? Let me call you back, and I'll find you. So I called my brother. I was like, hey, WJZ wants to come out and do a story on us. Like, we don't have nowhere to go. Like, we got to figure something out. My brother was like, well, you know, we can kind of go meet them somewhere. And I was like, no, 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 no. Like, this is the first time people are going to see us. So we got to figure this thing out. And it just so happened that Boundary Row had called us because we had done a live, a, uh, Instagram live, maybe two or three days before this. And the guy ended the live by telling people to go out and ask for us at their local liquor store. Somebody had went to uh, Foundry Row Minor Spirits and asked us, and they had called us and says, hey, you know, how do we get you guys? Do you have a distributor? You know, what do you, what's your situation? And so when I went and looked them up on, the, on on their website, I saw they had a really nice store. So I said, you know what? This is what we're going to do. So I called the guy up and I said, hey, listen, I have a media interview from WJZ. They want to do a story on us. I said, as a sign of our partnership, I would love to do the story in your store, right? Like, you know, that's a win-win for us. You get the news, you get the publicity. You get the sales to help push this thing. Guy says, "Oh yeah, absolutely." So call WJZ back. Hey, yes, we love to do the story. Meet us at Foundry Road Wine Spirits, and we came, you know, there to do the story with them. And people automatically associated us with their store. So that guy did twenty five cases that week, like, <laughs> right? Because people that because when people saw us, like, oh my god, these guys are on the news. They, you know, that's the only place they knew to go get it. And so people was going there. And so it was just things like that. And then, like I said, later, Fox 45 picked us up. 
Um, the Afro did a story on us. So, you know, we just got a lot of local media. But no, all of it's been just word of mouth, really. Dante, you mentioned a couple of times as far as going to I, going on IG Live, Instagram Live. Is this through your business account of Los Hermanos or your personal account that you or William have? Um, no, no. This is um, we, this is the business account. We, you know, try to funnel everything through the business account. And then, you know, on the tail end of the pandemic, a lot of people were doing Instagram Live. So people were used to, you know, waiting to see these things. So, you know, we would get on other people, other people's channels and, and go do live with them. And, you know, I mean, honestly, any kind of platform where we could be seen. So if Instagram live, it's YouTube live, it's your podcast, whatever. Like we was just getting out there to get out in front of people to let people know, know that we were out here. Man, And during this time, are both of you still employed full time while doing this and growing it? Absolutely. From day one, we've never, my brother or I, neither one of us have left our job. We still working full time. Still doing it now. Okay. Yes. Oh man, your schedule must be packed. Yeah, it's it's a juggle. People always acting like, oh, so you know, are you doing this full time or you know, you still work full time? And I was like, both. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I work full time and, and I'm pushing this business full time. I got two full time jobs and I still got a wife and kids at home that you know I'm trying to juggle. So, yeah, it's it's a lot. I mean, that's the one thing I think I wasn't prepared for because starting out in my mind. This is just going to be a cool little side hustle, right? Like, if we only had two or three stores, you know, so what? It didn't matter because, to me, mission accomplished was that we had an idea and we were able to take this idea to fruition and produce a product, right? Like, at the time, nobody else we knew was in the spirits industry, right? So it was like, hey, I did something nobody else that we know of have ever done. I was happy with that. But when this thing kind of took off, we were not prepared for it. And just how much work it would be and so trying to juggle, you know, all these different things, is that's, yeah, that's became a task. It was like, but, you know, again, I never complain because I've seen other people in this industry who hasn't had the same luck that we have, right? So, you know, we could have a bunch of cases sitting in the warehouse getting dusty. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody's looking for it. So, like, yeah, it's been a lot, but definitely don't complain. Dante, what would you say drives and motivates you today? Um... I think just success, like just just seeing this thing grow. Like, again, for one, because nobody in my family or our family has ever owned a business. Like, right? Like, some people had, like, you know, a load of small side hustles here and there, mm-hmm. but not that many people have had full fledged businesses, especially when you get outside of, you know, like um, in the beauty industry or, um, you know, like in a food service kind of thing. So when you kind of get outside of those industries, like, you know, not a lot of people have business. And to see that we had something that is really scalable and, you know, that that we really can grow into a major corporation, that excited me. You know, it was like, oh, you know, nobody know we knew was in a C-suite nowhere, nobody we grew up with. Mm-hmm. And we have opportunities to grow this business and to be, the you know, that kind of people. So, yeah, it's just like, it's, like I said, it's, it's a lot of work, but I think the reward will come, right? And and that's the other thing I tell people all the time. People always ask, you know, like, oh, I'm th- I want to get a tequila brand. You know, I want to I want to get a company. I want to. And I was like, okay, but understand this: you gotta you gotta really want this thing, right? Like, you can't do it for because you think you're gonna make some money or you're gonna because you're gonna like because the amount of work is gonna far exceed the amount of money you're going to see right away. Like the amount of money, I mean, the amount of work that you're going to do is going to far exceed 
the you know the limelight that you get from social media. So you got to really want this thing because again, right? Like your free time is is going to go away when you have a business. Like you don't get that much free time to be when all your friends are going to hang out. Right? You got to go to work. At the end of the day, when your friends are home watching Netflix, you know, binge watching series, you got to go to work. Right? So you got to and when when the weekends come or when holidays come and everybody's going out to party, this is when you have events. So, you know, you got to be understand that this is what it's going to take in order to get a brand off the ground. So, like, I, I tell people all the time, like, I don't not throwing cold water in their dreams, but trying to get them realistic expectations. Because people see, you know, what you see on social media. was like, oh, that looks fun. They're at events. You know, oh, this is great. They got a grand this. And I was like, yeah, but you don't want to see what goes in on the back end to prepare for all these events. Right. So I just always try to get people some realistic insights into what it's going to take i'm glad you mentioned this because a lot of things with the media they just show the highlights the glamour let's call it right but they don't see the back end and the hard work you mentioned as far as and maybe not seeing it profitable until who knows how many years down the road especially the beginning of the year the beginning you know if someone comes to you dante whether they want to get into the spirits business or other business besides making sure that you're you're not doing it this just for the money alone what advice would you give that person um the the best advice that i wish somebody was was would have given me do as much research as you can like before you kind of jump in because honestly i think from the outside as much information as you can find there's always you know that's always just the tip of the iceberg so for instance, right, like understanding the relationships between you as a brand, your um, distillery, and the distributors, right? You got to understand how to manage these relationships. And also, you know, I would tell people to understand business, right? Regardless of this industry, if you want to get in any kind of business, especially uh, products-based business, you have to understand how to price your products. A lot of us that I've come to, you know, including us, you know, when we got into this thing, our first generation business owners, right? And so we, a lot of us didn't have that network to go to or have MBAs to understand those mechanics of business. And so a lot of people price their products based on what they think their competitors are, not understanding what your cost of goods is mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what your markup should be or what your margins should look like. And not knowing these things, right, makes that first year, you know, it's, it's really a make or break for a lot of people. And at the same time, this the industry is really capital intensive. And what that means is that you can start small, right? Especially if you, you know, if you have something like a, a vodka or whiskey or something like that. But it's going to be hard for you to scale it because you're selling your product on terms to your distributor, right? You're not, it's not COD. And so at the same time, while you're waiting for these terms, you know, where, where you're waiting, whether it's 30 days, 60 days or whatever, you still have to maintain your operations. Right. So you still have bills to pay. You still got things going on. So you haven't had enough cash to to carry that over. And at the same time, while you're trying to scale this business and grow, banks are not going to offer you a line of credit. So you're going to use all your own capital. Right. So you might be two years. First of all, you have to cross that two year mark before they even consider having this conversation. Now, as you mentioned before, right, who knows how long it'll take you to be, actually be profitable. Right. Because you might have to take that loan to go get started. Right. And, and, and again, if you have this, that learning curve where you didn't know how to price your products, it might take you three years to get profitable. And banks are not going to give you a lot of credit until you can show some profitability. 
So, right, you're going to be burning through all your own capital, all your capital tied up in product, right? So now it's like it's this thing that you kind of got to juggle through till you get over these, you know, these first initial couple years. Mm -hmm. So that's why I try to just tell people like, okay, don't think of the product as the finish. Product is just the beginning, right? Now you have to know how to manage all these other things until you can get to a certain place. That's, you know, when you kind of get in your groove. And then for us, like, yeah, we've, you know, been able to grow a lot. But we've had these same hurdles and same challenges that every other business owner faces, you know, when they first start out. And then again, that learning curve for the experience industry is huge, right? Because it's not like t-shirts, you know, where I can just go pop, you know, pop up anywhere, start mm -hmm. selling my t-shirts directly to consumers. No, no, no. We might market directly to consumers, but our customers are distributors. That's our customers, right? Like our, our initial customers. And so this relationship is different. And I think a lot of people don't understand that because all the time we get asked from people, oh, do you do private events? I'm having a birthday party. Can you come set up here? Oh, I'm doing this event. Can you? And they're like, listen, this is not that we can't just come set up anywhere, pop up our table and start serving shots. Like, no, that's not that's not how this works, right? Like every state has a legal limit on how big these samples can be and where we can sample. So, you know, and again, people all the time, even if we add events. Oh, are you selling bottles tonight? Can you buy bottles? Like, no, we cannot sell directly to retail. I mean, to the consumer. Our license allows us to sell to wholesalers who mm -hmm. has a license, right? Like, so again, you know, you kind of got to do this education piece with people. And, you know, if you're just coming in from a consumer's perspective, you know, people don't know. And people, you know, kind of cut corners and you can really get yourself in trouble, you know, get your business penalized or lose your license before you even get started. So the all that to say, the biggest thing that I can tell somebody is to try to find a mentor in the industry before you jump in. Speaking about mentors, did you have one? I know a lot of what you did was self-taught, researched, and everything all the time and hours put into it. Did you have anyone, though? No. And, oh, my, I wish I did. So, for us, at least, in 2020, I think when we kind of got, when we got started, um, we didn't know anyone in the industry and we weren't aware of that many brands, um, black owned brands, period. And it was like the the ones that we knew, I think none of them were local. Um, like all except for what uh she Capri, I think she came out in twenty twenty and really kind of took off, but you know, we don't know her and again, mm -hmm. we're enough skills, not gonna actually like to be a mentor for us. So you know, it was, it was just like that. We just all try on air, right? And we really, once we got with a distributor, we kind of leaned on them a lot and, until we kind of understood, you know, some of it. And then later, um, or actually earlier this year, we just been able to um, partner with Pronghorn. So, you know, we got a partner now that we have industry uh, mentors that we can kind of go to that we, you know, when we have problems or we have situations, how to navigate these things and know how to navigate the relationship with your distributor and talking you know um your route to market strategies and all these things but no man that that, that first what year and a half it was rough like this trial and error and because and the other thing that i tell people is like people always want to grow fast and want to be excited and i was just like if you don't understand what you're doing something that could have been a five thousand dollar mistake could easily be a fifteen thousand dollar mistake right so it was like, you know, it, it it pays to do your due diligence because in this industry, like you can blow a lot of money really fast and, and not see a lot of returns. Dante, what would you say is your biggest challenge today 
with your role at Los Hermanos Tequila? Um, I think for now, the biggest thing is just trying to manage, um, you know, multitasking. People know multitasking is not a great way to operate, right? Like, you always find something. So now we've been fortunate enough that we've been able to hire uh, two 1099s. And so trying to find a time to manage the relationship with both of these people, you know, manage my distributor, my distillery, grow the business, and still, you know, give a full eight hours to my day job. It's like that, that is the biggest part of trying to grow all this thing. You know, for me personally, for the business, um, we're still just plugging away, like just trying to get these sales out the door so that, you know, we can have a, a long track record to show banks, you know, we have, you know, a consecutive quarter of profitability mm-hmm. so that, you know, we can eventually get this line of credit. The two people you mentioned you just brought in, what role are they playing in the business? Um, yeah. So the first um, 1099 I was an admin person. I think people always think about, you know, or my assumption is that people always think about salespeople, right? Mm-hmm. You're a salesperson or you get hire somebody who manages social media. Like, if you're going to make a hire, you need an admin person, right? Because you can only do so much at one time. So you need that admin person to take care of a lot of these other things so you can focus on bigger things. And for me, I always like to have a second set of eyes on, on a lot of things. And so, you know, again, have that admin person to kind of keep us straight and, you know, keep us on task. And the second um, was a brand ambassador, like that person to actually get out there and go knock on doors for us and try to open up some new accounts. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Coming to an end here soon, what are you most excited about? What does the future, the next couple of years look like for you in the business? Yeah, um, right now we are really excited about getting to New York. Um, like I said, we just got in New York this week. We're already having conversations with Happy Corks in Brooklyn. You know, they're excited to have us, so we're trying to work out the logistics now to come up there to, to do a, you know, a tasting to kick off our entry into the market. Um, we are looking to launch our Neho, uh, later this year. So, you know, we're working on that now. Hopefully we can get this out by the fourth quarter. And then other than that, I think just really growing the brand in, in the States. So we're not expanding to any other States in the foreseeable future. So we're just looking at, you know, just going deeper into the States that we're in. That's great. I, I know you're busy with two full-time jobs and family, but when you have some time to relax, what do you like to do for fun in your free time? Um, I think I've always been big on movies. Like I liked, and now I, I appreciate it more because those two hours or two and a half hours is like time for me to actually zone out. Right, I'm turning the phone off. Mm-hmm. It's like nobody's coming looking for me or anything. So I have that that two hour window to just really get lost in a movie. And you're sitting in the dark theater, you know, the big screen, and you just kind of zone out and, and you know everything else goes away and so outside of that um i was cycling so like that's the other part you know i guess it's all about escape so again when i'm out there riding with my riding my bike it's like no emails no phone calls you know it's just you're on the open road with the wind in your face and you know you can just kind of you and your thoughts and just so yeah that's those are the, i think the two biggest things that i use to kind of unwind nice Dante, if people want to learn more about you and the business and where to find you, where can they get more information, please? Yes. Um, you can go to our website, uh, tequilalosshermanos.com. You can find us there, um, all of our locations, our stories. And you can find us on Instagram at tequilalosshermanos. Awesome. 
Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I had a great time. Awesome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Of course. Take care. All right. You too. If you haven't done so already, please make sure to subscribe to the show and leave a review and comment and let me know what you think. Thank you, and I'll see you all very soon on the next episode.